Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. afternoon, everyone. Uh, it's Tori. I'll be your host today for the next two hours. It's the 28th of December. It's almost 2019. And I'm thinking that on the 31st of uh, January, I should have a show where we kind of recap 2018 and uh, talk about what our president has done, where we are as a nation, and for some reason, I'm hearing some humming in the background. I don't know where that's coming from. But hopefully it'll fix whatever it is. So today there's a lot to talk about. And uh, I really don't know where to start. Should we start with what? The explosion in New York City that lit the sky up, an eerie, creepy blue? Do we go with, uh, you know, Khashoggi news? Stuff that I talked about back in October and November you know, but no one was really paying attention. How Khashoggi was never a Saudi journalist, and now we're seeing a lot of uh, information coming out that is um, pretty much substantiating what I've been saying all along. So it looks as if uh, people are starting to wake up and check out the background of Khashoggi and find out exactly who he is and what he's been doing and how uh, all of this ties in with trying to drive foreign policy. It's pretty amazing how late and how forced the mainstream media is now to report on these things because, you know, they never want to be wrong. They never want to say that Donald Trump was right all along, right? So I think that it's important for us to kind of uh, sit back always whenever we see the news. We saw that CNN for the past uh, 48 hours has been claiming that what uh, they observed in uh Iraq and in Germany, where several troops brought their MAGA hats to get signed. First, they peddled the idea that President Trump brought those hats and those flags because uh, there was a Bloomberg reporter that said, oh, look, this soldier had the MAGA flag. And when she saw me taking pictures, she hid it. Why are we why are our soldiers feeling like they can't show their pride. They can't show their support for their commanding officer. Why? Why are they suddenly made to feel that they shouldn't be glad that they're meeting their commanding officer and a man that they adore for what he's doing for our country? If anyone is qualified to state and speak on behalf of 
President Trump's actions in regard to foreign relations and our defense, it's a soldier. So I don't see how they are qualified to minimize our soldiers and to make them feel bad for wanting to express that appreciation to the president. You know, they were trying to make it seem as if, hey, Donald Trump brought these hats, you know, kind of to perpetuate the whole MAGA thing, but it was his. They also said, you know, they inferred that uh, there may have been military rules that were violated by allowing President Trump to sign Make American Great Again hats, which is not the case. You know, if we remember uh, when Obama went to meet troops in, uh, you know, uh, in war zones before or not, or just foreign bases, we saw that they were getting signatures on magazines, on pictures of Michelle Obama and Barack Obama. But no one spoke and said those are breaking any military rules. The problem that they have is that it's a Make America Great Again hat. And they brought their own hats and asked the president to sign it. And Jim Acosta, you know, crybaby Acosta, Acosta that took the president to court, you know, the White House to court for being barred from entering the White House press pool that took away his hard credentials, the one that whined about how he wasn't allowed to lead the conversation and make inferences and not ask questions and dominate the questions, you know, and not allow anyone else to speak, that Jim Acosta and others were asserting that the troops have essentially violated, uh, you know, rules and laws and Pentagon rules because they signed the hats um, that had a Trump 2020 logo. So basically, they've done something that's great. They've now reinforced the notion to the most important demographic of our country, our military, that they are the enemy of the state. This is something that they shouldn't have done if they were thinking strategically. See, the one thing you don't want to do is make an enemy of the people that are there to defend you. Because if it ever came down to picking between uh, uh, them and the president, you know they would go for the president. And, and I'm saying on a personal level, right? So they've just created, they've just disenfranchised everyone. I would say that they isolated our military. And our military now will never trust, will never accept anything the mainstream media says. And so uh, Matt Couch actually published an an article today, a pretty short blurb uh, on DC Chronicle. If you're not following Matt Couch, you should. He's on Twitter. Um, He uh, had this article go up, and he had a statement from uh, the actual uh, Air Force uh, official uh, in Europe, and he said 
there is no rule against airmen bringing personal items to be signed by the president. Anytime the commander-in-chief offers the opportunity to meet with airmen, such as this official holiday visit by the president and first lady, airmen are welcome to participate. No policy violations have been brought to our attention at this time because there aren't any. There are no violations. They were just manufacturing this. But let's just turn to something very specific that I have made as a subtle notion many times before. Obviously, President Trump has taken on the task of being our commanding officer to fix the issues that we have domestically and globally. It is a very big task. This is a man who had money, enough money and enough clout to be able to compete with the money and clout of this D.C. mafia, this globalist cabal. And it's not random. I've said it before, President Obama made a comment during one of the dinners, if you remember, where he sat and taunted President Trump saying, hey, you want to run? I heard you want to run. Why don't you run? You know, and if you go to YouTube and find that video, you'll see Donald Trump looking very, very, one, shocked that he said that out loud, and two, determined. And we've seen that face before when he, when he was debating Hillary Clinton, when he was speaking truths that no one wanted to speak. Because here's the hint, and hopefully you understand where I'm going with this. Sarah Sanders yesterday tweeted out uh, a very important message that you need to understand. She said, powerful moment member of United States Army told the president he came back into the military because of him and President Trump responded and I am here because of you now that tells you why he is where he is our military execute orders on behalf of anyone that commands them, correct? That is our job. The job is you are told to do a task. You are supposed to execute it in the best way you can and complete your mission in the name of freedom, in the name of the United States, and in the name of national security, right? That's, that's what we're told, and that's what we do. You take orders. Uh, you know, a good soldier questions things but keeps the questions to themselves now those soldiers that have taken orders in the past those FBI agents CIA intelligence community in general elements and you know sections of the government that are so deep they don't even know their names all of them have done things and completed missions that they struggled with, but that was their job. They had a duty to do because those above them 
said that it was necessary to ensure domestic tranquility, to ensure times of peace, and to ensure the safety of every American citizen. But like I said, a lot of them do have conflict because soldiers think, obviously, and they're very intelligent, obviously. Uh, None of them just take orders and do without thinking, but they keep their thoughts to themselves. And maybe, you know, at some point in time, a lot of these people throughout our community within the United States that thought the same things that came from different branches of the government, different uh, branches of our armed forces, sat down and maybe had a beer and talked about it freely without feeling fear to be condemned for their criticism or their thoughts or their moral struggles with what was happening and decided, you know, maybe we need to really take our oath, you know, to the test and figure out how we can fix this because we have the manpower, we have the ability to, and we have the know-how, but the thing is we need good leadership. I mean, who's to say that he's not where he is because of exactly what he said? I'm here because of you. I don't know. That's just a some food for thought. I mean, if I were part of that, you know, um, group, I would think the same thing. I would think, you know, yes, you know, this is really bad. We're doing good, but our people don't know what we're really doing. And uh, I'm uncomfortable with this. Well, well, how can we have a commanding officer that would do things that are morally sound and at the same time ensure that the people actually have power because nobody really has power except for the few that are in office. I mean, you know, hypothetically speaking, if I was, you know, I, I, I would probably say the same thing because one thing we should all know is anything they you're provided, and this was given to me by a professor many, many moons ago. Uh, you know, I was provided some information, and it was in the textbook, and that professor, and I was, you know, 15. He turned around and said, I said, well, that's an axiom, so that means it's fact. And he said, well, you know, here's a little bit of advice, he said to me, and I'll never forget it. Don't always take something as fact because it's written in a book or because someone told you. Question everything. Because as you're questioning something, a statement, a document, an axiom, a theory in a book, anything, as you question it and you try to disprove it, in that process... You will see just how solid it is and sound and correct, or you will find the fallacy in it, okay? So I'm not here to tell anyone what to think. And I've said this before. All I'm asking when uh, when we have a conversation, because this is how I feel. I'm having a conversation with all of you, even though I am talking to myself because I'm 
pretty wary on opening the phone lines, but I will do that today. And I want to do it throughout the whole second hour, right? I will have them open. But I want everyone to use those six inches between their ears to think. Because when you provoke thought, when you provoke questions, answers just seem to pop up. And, you know, yesterday, publishing um, my piece on these executive, on executive orders and how they've changed court, you know, the, the, the court martial, right? They changed the rules of court martial. And it's important for people to know that because they couldn't do it on civilian. They did it on court martial. Because the bottom line is, if ever needed, that they needed to phone in and cash in that shit of martial law, that would be the law of the land. You can't change civilian law like they did court martial law, right? They can't. You can't change that. You can change military law because no one's going to question military law. Civilians aren't going to go up in arms about military law, but they will when it comes to civilian codes. And bottom line is, in order to change statutory rape ages and change and have thresholds and do all these little tidbits and loopholes to allow marriage to justify having sex with a child, you know, your state will have to pass that legislation and go through federal to be on the civilian. So we we need to understand how they did this. And that article, I'm, I'm glad, has made rounds. I've had emails from people in South Africa that literally reported it on the television. Um, India... Uh, Japan, um, Sri Lanka, uh, people have taken to this and have started re- re- rewriting it, saying here is how they changed the laws. And it's not something all of a sudden, as I tried to in the best way I can, is show you how when someone wants to change something, they just tweak it a little bit at a time. So you don't feel it. Okay. But at some point, it's kind of like if you had like this huge chocolate bar, right? And then, you know, you go and pick from one side, but it still looks pretty big and the wrapping is still kind of intact. So you don't realize that piece of chocolate is gone. Then you take another little bit and another little bit. And at some point you're going to see that that chocolate has been eroded, is gone, you know, and that's when you're like, whoa. Now at this point for me, when I was looking through trends and patterns, because I, I've said it before, that's my superpower. I see patterns, I see shapes, I see numbers, they speak to me. I've had this since I was a little kid. I'm only good with patterns. Maybe this is why I'm such a good linguist. Because I can decode things and crack codes. That's my thing. I do that stuff for fun. I love it. And this is why I sit and battle to try to figure out string theory too. uh, Because I love math. And patterns tell more tell you more than looking at something static in the now. Because like I've tried to kind of say, I want everyone to just be able to sit back and look at the bigger picture. Look at the puzzle. Stand on the moon. Visualize yourself on the moon looking down, you know, or something. So that tweet from Sarah Sanders should tell you a lot. 
should tell you that he is there for that soldier because of that soldier because of the soldiers he is fixing things and you know we've been talking about this gold standard and um the federal reserve and today i'm going to show you another pattern so you could just see uh that how everything ties in you know i've had people say well that's considered um conspiracy and I was thinking, well, did, can someone define the word conspiracy? Because conspiracy is a word that means what? To make a plan, right? To conspire, to sit down and formulate a plan. You know, a group of people get together and they decide that they're going to get together and do something. They conspire, right? If you sit down with your friends, uh, you know, around a fire and you guys plan to do something either that be nefarious or good you're conspiring you're getting together you're colluding to to make this idea happen but for some reason throughout time because conspiracy was never a bad thing it happened around you know i don't know 1910 1915 you know when the fed reserve was coming up and people were actually fighting it and when social security was introduced you know and people were actually fighting it well it was around that time that this theory conspiracy theory um was created and suddenly the word is you know bad and i and i believe that you know, calling out someone that's, you know, it's usurpation, what they're doing. And so why, why is it a bad word? Why is it suddenly tinfoil hat to point out that people are conspiring, that they're getting together and they're planning? Because this is exactly what they did. The executive orders should be telling enough for you to see what they conspired to do. I'm telling you, okay, yeah, we see that they were trying to help Sharia law, and we've seen that happen because in our country, we have found that banning female genital mutilation is, you know, wrong, you know, is wrong. And I'm thinking, how is it wrong? How is it wrong to say you cannot mutilate a child that cannot give you consent that will change them forever. It's torturous. People, women uh, that undergo those procedures, first of all, can never have actual sexual lives, you know, and enjoy sex. And that's the whole purpose of FGM. And, you know, sometimes, you know, nerve endings are uh, severed and some of them get urinary incontinence. Some of them have uh, chronic pain. <clears throat> and depending on uh, their uh, clitoris, you know, the actual, you know, piece and structure, the size, you know, that's genetically predisposed, right? The positioning, you know, it, it can cause a barrage of problems. So, they are made less woman, and we've said it's okay. And so what I'm trying to say is that we see that they've conspired to creep Sharia in. But that's not the big conspiracy. Their whole, all these changes, and there's so many of them. 
have been done through executive orders altering our military laws in the past, you know, from 1994 up until today. They changed the military laws, and that's really important because, like I said, it wasn't about, you know, creeping Sharia in slowly only. That's just one portion because there's 20 other things that they've been doing because the bottom line comes when when they need to make changes such as open up the borders completely, uh, roll out the North American Union, which was the plan. We heard Obama talking about it in July of 2016, in August of 2016, in 2015, in 2014, standing with the Mexican president and the prime minister of Canada talking North American Union. And how they said they will be a little bit more successful than the European Union. Um, no, because, you know, at least at the European Union, they kind of, you know, subscribe to the same cultural nuances. You know, the southern part of Europe has siestas in the summer. They don't open their stores every day. You know, for us in the United States, we operate and work and function completely different to Mexico. Culturally, Nothing. Our work ethic is completely different to that of the Mexicans. And let me not get started on the Canadians. So how would that work? Whatever. But when they needed to, when, when it would come the time to get that done and there would be disruptions, people up in arms finally fighting back, that's when court martial, that's when we have martial law in effect. And that's when, you know, uh, the UCMJ comes into effect and applicable to society because they are now in control. So this is something to think about, that they didn't change your civilian laws. They changed the military laws, which is what would govern you if ever enacted because you were working yourself up or fighting back um, to try to take back power from your government that you so ignorantly handed over. Now, in the second half, I'm going to tell you how Trump has been working hard, how he wrote four executive orders in regards to one topic. So I'll see you guys in a few. Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switched to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it, but we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855-700-2978-855-700-2978-855-700-2978. That's 855-700-2978. 
Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable My Pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code Red State. That's 1-800-961-9194, promo code Red State. Put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit mypillow.com. All right, I'm back. So just to to recap, I just wanted to say that um, I, I mentioned conspiracy because that word keeps flying around. And remember, conspiracy is a group of people just getting together to do something that's subversive or wrongful. And here's where we can see the difference between the administrations that we've had. So I'm going to take you back to a show that I did where I was talking about Venezuela, where I let all of you know that, you know, Venezuela is one of the, uh, it is the richest country on the planet in regards to oil. They have more oil than Saudi Arabia. They're top, top. They've got at least 300 years worth of oil, and Saudi Arabia has about 68, 69 years left at the production that they're at. And like I've said, Venezuela was isolated by the globalists for not wanting to play, for not, uh, how would I say, for not complying with what they want. So the question here is, what is really going on with Venezuela? Like, what happened? You know, um, Venezuela, let me take you back to, the, uh, to, to back in the ni- 90s, right? Late 90s. You know, just like every other country, they have their own constitution, right? And in that constitution, it had, uh, you know, freedom of speech, Uh, freedom of press, and all these things. This is where you're going to see how this stuff evolves, okay? Because we saw it happen here recently with the NDAA, uh, you know, that Obama kind of slid in. And I'll help you understand better. So in 2004, 
the previous president of Venezuela, Chavez, made changes to the law on social responsibility on radio and television. What does that tell you? It actually, the title itself tells you a lot. What social responsibility do the mainstream media in Venezuela have? And so that was a law that governs the media. Well, when it was created in 2004, it was uh, pushed as a freedom of expression. But here's where we get down to wording, what I was saying about these executive orders. The wording from the Constitution where it was kind of reflecting the freedom of speech, freedom of press, and promoting freedom in general was slightly changed by Chavez. Just slightly, ever so slightly tweaked here, tweaked there in a way that the law would protect citizens, right, by banning things on the media or disallowing the mainstream media to report on things um, that would alter public order. So basically what we're seeing, CNN and all of them push, which is fight back, get up, kick them out of restaurants, yell at them, you know, that would be banned in Venezuela. It promoted, though, um, you know, uh, anything that promoted hatred or war propaganda and um, disrespect to authority. So talking bad about the president or a minister, uh, you know, anything that would disrupt public order was pretty much gagged in Venezuela. So basically there was a gag uh, cloak over the mainstream media in Venezuela. And these were small tweaks And those tweaks that are now law has pretty much tied the hands of the local Venezuelan uh, media. And, uh, you know, the people of Venezuela obviously depended on social media and whatever foreign press um, they were able to access. So where am I going with this? So we see that before... um, Anything, once, you know, Chavez decided that he is going to defy the globalists, um, you know, he, he wasn't going to defy, sorry, he wasn't going to defy the globalists. He decided, I know how these people fight. They fight, here's where he made his mistake, that's my point. They fight by... Uh, telling people and, uh, and ushering in propaganda like USAID. So USAID, like I've said before, the State Department, literally funnels money to these foreign countries to promote, and I'm using air quotes, uh, foundations of democracies to help other nations be more democratic, whatever that means. And they do this by uh, paying media outlets, local media outlets, to put out stories. So he played right into their hands. Because the minute you control your media, even though it was a great shield, uh, you're done. And this is why Venezuela is where it is today. Because they could have survived it being one of the richest nations. But he thought he was smarter by uh, gagging the media. And see, when you gag your media and you've made the laws, yes, you've tied the hands of USA to be able to promote propaganda. But they'll find another way. 
But here we see that our government, prior to President Trump, had done the same thing. They have created a law saying that domestic propaganda is legal. And for some reason, the government has now changed hands, but they're still beating to the drum of the previous administrations. Now, like I said, Venezuela made that mistake. They tried to block out propaganda by, you know, fed in by USAID, by putting up this law and gagging their media because they knew it wasn't going to be free press. It was going to be paid press. And who was it going to be from their enemies, the people that want to take them down? So they took alternative avenues. So what happened? Well, Barack Obama put in an executive order back on March 8th of 2015. And this executive order seems like he's taking a stance against people who are harming or aiding whatever's going on in Venezuela. He basically titled it Blocking Property and Suspending Entry of Certain Persons Contributing to the Situation in Venezuela. What was the situation in Venezuela? It's a situation of them trying to get rid of people that were destroying their government from within. Get rid of the moles, get rid of the propaganda that could not be pushed through mainstream media. So it was done with word of mouth. You know, things that USAID would pay for. You know, if he was smart, he would have kicked them out a long time ago. There are specific people that are listed in this annex. And I'd like to tell you these names of these people. So the first one is... Antonio Jose Benavides Torres, commander of the Central Integral Strategic Defense Region of the National Armed Forces, former director of operations for the National Guard. Gustavo Enrique Gonzalez Lopez, who was the director of National Intelligence Service and president of the Strategic Center of Security and Protection of the Homeland. Gusto Jose Noyuera Pietre, who was president of the Venezuelan Corporation of Guyana, Guyana, former general commander of the National Guard. Catherine Nayarit Harrington Padron, level prosecutor of the 20th District Office of the Public Ministry. Manuel Eduardo Perez Urdenta, Manuel Gregorio Bernal Martinez. He was the chief of the Armored Brigade of Caracas, and he was the former director general of the National Intelligence Service. Miguel Alcides Vivas Landino. He was the inspector general of the National Armed Forces and former commander of the Andes Integral Strategic Defense Region of the National Armed Forces. Now, these are the seven people that Barack Obama said he's blocking property, any interest they have within the United States, any family members that are adults, uh, any property, any money that the United States can get their hand off of these people they've taken. And remember, these are the people that were stymieing the actions of USAID. And he said, um, 
the people in the order, the persons determined by the Secretary of Treasury, remember, I said the key is the Secretary of Te- Treasury, um, <clears throat> that are responsible or complicit, controlling, directing, or having participated in uh, with things in Venezuela, such as actions or policies that undermine the democratic process or institutions, significant acts of violence or conduct that constitute serious abuse of violation of human rights, um, and anti-government, you know, involved in anti-government protests in Venezuela, because, you know, uh, under Obama's regime, because we want to call it a regime, because that wasn't a presidency, it was a regime, uh, he formulated a uh, inserted a Venezuelan government that he found would be more amicable uh, going forward once they settle the dust uh, to cater to what their plan was with their oil. So all this, he puts it down, says what he's going to take, but here's where President Trump puts together executive orders himself. And his his one executive order because he has many on Venezuela, is imposing additional sanctions with respect to the situation in Venezuela. So this one is from August 2017. And he says, All transactions related to the provision of financing for and other dealings in the following by a United States person or within the United States are prohibited. New debt with a maturity of greater than 90 days of Petroleos de Venezuela, oil, 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 remember what I said? New debt with maturity of greater than 30 days or new equity of the government of Venezuela. So people buying shares, right? Who bought shares in, you know, Petroleos de Venezuela? Who bought shares, government bonds, bonds issued by the government of Venezuela, Who was getting dividend payments or other distributions or profits from the government? of So basically, who is buying Venezuela in the United States is the question. So for the term of person, President Trump made it clear that it's a actual person or an entity, a company. Now, if I remember correctly, there are some foundations, and I will not name them on air right now because I will be formulating but I think most of you can get the hint that indicate that they have companies that own shares in things in Venezuela so this is the first of multiple executive orders in regards to Venezuela Let's fast forward to 2018, May. Another executive order taking additional steps to address the situation again in Venezuela. And now Donald Trump, the president, decides that, you know, in light of recent actions taken by Maduro regime to attempt to circumvent U.S. sanctions by issuing a digital currency. Whoop. They now figured out that President Trump had blocked any money from these foundations and these persons within the United States that were buying 
Venezuela, like literally buying, I own Venezuela, right? Buying them. You know, the thing that Europe did to the Ukraine, the thing that Europe, the European Union were saying, right? That they did to Greece, the same thing they did to Portugal, the same thing they did to Spain. You know, that's what they did. They bought the country. They would buy and own the government bonds. You know, in Greece, why are they so broke? Because the European Union, the European bank, bought all the mortgages off the Greek banks. So now the European Union doing that has the right to confiscate property that isn't paid for. Do you see? Little things count. This is the devil is always in the details. So he says, well, cryptocurrency. Well, now we're blocking cryptocurrency. So any person within the United States, any entity, any subgroup, or any other term that may be considered an entity or group, that is identified, right, uh, with the Secretary of Treasury and in consultation with the Secretary of State is authorized to take actions against them if they have cryptocurrency or digital currency that leads back to Venezuela. And now we have a recent one in May, which is prohibiting certain additional transactions with respect to Venezuela. And this is key, okay? Because first it was money and buying government bonds. Then it was cryptocurrency, right? But this one is a little bit more peculiar, We've talked about the gold standard, right? How we want, to, how how gold is ultimately the best way to back a currency uh, because it's a tangible commodity, right? We've said this. We know that the Clinton Foundation in Haiti did what? They took control of gold mines, right? If you do your homework, you'll see that is one of the key things, that the Clinton Foundation went to Haiti and did what they did with gold mines, Right? Because gold ultimately is the power of this 1% of this globalist cabal. They've been collecting it everywhere. I mean, the European Union, to kneel every single member state, Lithuania, Estonia, they took whatever gold reserves they have, like tangibly, like went there, loaded trucks, and took it away from them and said, well, now you're part of the EU. Welcome. They had that deal with them because, you know, they broke off from the USSR. They had no money. They were kind of in disarray. And the Russian Federation in the end was charged with the debt of, let's say, Estonia. And literally, Russia paid for it, even though it should have been charged to Estonia. And then Estonia just handed over their gold to the European Union. Gold, gold, gold. So he begins to say that, you know, uh, by the authority vested in me and president of the United States, including the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, the National Emergencies Act, and Section 301 of Title III, United States Code, I, Donald Trump, the president of the United States, in order to take additional steps with respect to the national emergency in or, um, declared an executive order of March 8, 2015. That was Obama's. So he took his and used it and relied upon additional steps in executive order of August 24, 2017 and executive order of March 19, 2018, particularly in light of recent activities of the Maduro regime, including endemic economic mismanagement and public corruption at the expense of Venezuelan people and their prosperity and ongoing repression of the political opposition. 
So the people are revolting. The people in public office are somehow still in power. And he's like, you know, we can't help the people if we're aiding the corrupt people. We need to help them figure out how to do it. And apparently there's a lot of people in the United States with big pockets and big foundations that are bothering Venezuelans to sort it out themselves. We don't need to go in there. We don't need to tell them how to do it. But we need to stop meddling because, you know, we're meddling. So here, because remember, Barack Obama's executive order pointed out Venezuelans that were trying to fix the situation of their government being sold. President Trump's executive orders are wire American citizens involved in fueling the government of Venezuela with money. Why are they buying bonds? Why are they giving money? Why are they purchasing this country? So look at the two presidents side by side. One of them is saying, oh, we should, you know, not let these people that were former intelligence, former military that are trying to fix their country themselves, we should you know, ensure that they have no access to the United States, no access to anyone helping them, because, you know, there are a lot of American foundations and companies that still believe in the right to freedom and the right to democracy. So what he did was meddle, Barack Obama meddled by stymieing activities that were happening in another government that is none of our business in the first place, right? But he just said, we don't need our people giving them any money. And he probably figured out, hey, we've got our hands in almost every allies, you know, banks. So we're going to just take your money. And that way you have no money, even though it's your money, and deal with it. So that's what Barack did. What President Trump did was, no, no American should be meddling in anything. If you give money, buy money, do this, I'm taking it all away from you, and you are not allowed to do this. So then they got smarter and said cryptocurrency, digital currency. And he said, oh, guess what? I find digital currency, cryptocurrency. I'm taking all your stuff, confiscating all your property. I am taking you down. You will not meddle with Venezuela. So now he takes it to the next level. All transactions related to provision of financing for and other dealings in the following by a United States person or within the United States are prohibited. The purchase of any debt owed to the government of Venezuela, including accounts receivable. Any debt owed to the government of Venezuela that is pledged as collateral, right, collateral, after the effective date of this order, including accounts receivable and sale, transfer, assignment, or pledging as collateral by the government of Venezuela of any equity interest in any entity in which the government of Venezuela has a 50% or greater ownership interest. So you're not allowed to do business. You're not allowed to sell them products, you know, because this is how it happens. You basically uh, say that you're selling things to Venezuela, right? Uh, That you guys are in business. And since you guys are in business, um, you know, you have accounts receivable with them and uh, you need to be able to complete transactions. And this is just another way for, um, you know, you to fund them because, you know, I can write out, uh, you know, a receipt of providing, you know, things for a country and in turn have nothing but error. Uh, there's actually a case now in our courts Uh, That is referring to that. But here's where the kicker comes in. In November, 
November 1st of 2018, right? So this is the fourth executive order. So now he said, no cash, no bonds. Then he said, no cryptocurrency, no digital currency. The U.S. will not meddle in Venezuela. Let them figure it out. These people have immense wealth. And I know Maduro, and he will figure it out himself. We need to stop meddling because we're fueling both sides. So now he stopped business transactions that may be masked as a business transaction. So now, November 1st of this year, he put another one in. But this one is very, very specific. Again, blocking property of additional persons contributing to the situation in Venezuela. Not saying which situation or which side. So he said, based on the executive order Obama did, you know, where he like excluded government officials and confiscated foreign people's money. You know, uh, he said, based on that, based on my order in, in, on August 24, 2018, based on my order in March of 2018, based on my order in May 21st, 2018, so 17, 18, and 18, and now the third one in one year he puts out. And guess what this one says? Just guess. All property and interest in property that are in the United States that hereafter come within the United States or are hereafter come within the possession of or control of any United States person of the following persons are blocked and may not be transferred, paid, exported, withdrawn, or otherwise dealt in any person determined by the Secretary of Treasury in consultation with the Secretary of State. One, to operate in the gold's sector of Venezuelan economy or in any other sector of the Venezuelan economy as may be determined by the Secretary of Treasury. Gold. And here he expands it that people that would be that are held responsible for meddling with the gold, the commodity uh, division of Venezuela are not just like one, but if they have adult children, they're also held responsible. And <clears throat> about unrestricted immigrant and non-immigrant entry into the United States. Uh, he put that down where they're facilitating them to come in. This is huge. This is the third executive order about Venezuela. Look at what our president is doing right under your nose, and he is getting no press for it. Now, obviously, USAID has been defunded in Venezuela uh, via the Secretary of State as well. So this is incredible. Remember, gold. Gold is the key word here. Gold. Because then that'll tell you what foundations and persons are involved. And you'll know what all these sealed indictments are about. Now in the next half hour, we'll just expand on that. Foundations and people involved. I'll see you guys after a short break. to Red State Talk Radio. Welcome back, hosts. Have a great show. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori.
will be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Well, welcome back after that break. Uh, I just wanted to tell everyone. So the reason that I went into describing to you uh, about Venezuela and what our president has done is because now this segment will make a lot of sense. So I had written an article on big league politics uh, titled uh, Why the IMF is a Big Bully. And I've uh, circled back to that, telling everyone how uh, Lagarde, you know, who heads the IMF, who is in every G, whatever number you want to add to it, summit, that is the mother of all money, that dictates the debt of our nations globally, right? Any nation globally, their debt is dictated and their financing is dictated because what they do is they provide loans. Now, the reason I say this is because the way the European Union came to power, right, came to power, was when Lagarde was in France uh, working uh, as the... um, in the finance ministry where she had, there's something called the Lagarde list. You need to take a look at that. If you don't know what that is, the Lagarde list, I can some, you know, in, in short tell you was a list of big companies, big politicians throughout Europe that had a lot of money, a lot of money. So this list exposed politicians throughout all of Europe, exposing them, supposedly, to their own people so they can be taken down. And after they were taken down, they would send their own people to help rebuild the economies of those nations. If you're catching my drift. Now, that was a genius strategy. They were able to remove any politician in any European state now. Back then, they were European nations that had sovereignty. So they removed them. Those that stymied the gold grab, the money grab, were destroyed. They took down the only people that actually stood up for their country. Some of them even went to jail. Because they couldn't explain where they were getting the money. And these were people that were double dipping. These were people that were like patriots, but they were also taking money from corrupt persons. And see, here's how it goes. That's an insurance policy. Dirty guy like Soros gives you money, and you can't explain where this money came from. Kind of like our U.S. Treasury can't reconcile where they're getting $3 billion from and how they're saying, oh, well, we got half a million dollars in cash, but we don't have any receipts. Like, where'd you get this cash from? You know, kind of like that. They get exposed. And people who don't know any better, and when your media is controlled, they'll tell the people whatever they want, you're going down. So that was a great idea, right? Super great idea. So this brings me to tell you 
more about South America and Central America. I kind of circled that with William Barr, so that's why I said he was a very interesting choice. William Barr knows a lot about Central America and South America. Well, back in 2015, okay, just so you understand, we know that this uh, Lagarde list worked really well to take down people that were double-dipping in order to stymie. Those people were stymieing the European Union's rollout, right, and money grab. So they took them down with that. So that, you know, would tell you, kind of like, you know, how Venezuela, how Chavez was trying to avoid, you know, these globalists entering his country and doing propaganda. Well, he tried, you know, to do it that way, and he did it wrong. Well, what if the good guys did it right this time? What if the good guys took note of what the corrupt globalists did and got their own Lagarde list? Their own Lagarde list. Because, see, people don't understand what's going on with the Clinton Foundation, but I'm here to explain it to you. You know, we're all talking Uranium One. That's nothing. What? She sold 20% of it. That's nothing gold mines, the, the whole nine yards. But here's where it's going to get really sexy for you to listen. Okay, this is where I'm going to break it down. So what if the good guy said, well, it worked for them to steal, you know, names and account numbers, you know, of money stored in Switzerland, which you know is like, you know, the only place you can really hide money. So that was a pretty big deal. Well, what if the good guys you know, knew about some other offshore places where governments were storing money. Maybe, you know, almost a quarter million different offshore entities were storing money. Because if you just go on to see where and what kind of executive orders our president is stating, you'll see that a lot is happening. And, you know, something that flew out uh, under the radar and I'm still working on to put together to make sense to simplify is some arrests and some indictments that the Department of Justice did on December 4th, 2018. But again, what if a good guy or gal that goes under the name of John Doe or Jane Doe, but everyone says John Doe, they just assume a man is smart enough to do this only, got a bunch of papers too. And what we call the Panama Papers. These documents that have financial information of really, really insanely rich people around the world. We're talking Soros. We're talking Clinton Foundation. We're talking Obamas. We're talking African leaders. We're talking Asian leaders, Russian leaders, Australian. I mean, the Crown even had an offshore company, with one company, a Panamanian law firm, Masak Fonseca. Uh, Those were actually leaked anonymously when they were retrieved from Panama. You know, that was like, uh, you know, they were retrieved before 2015. So, you know, could have been the plan all along to expose uh, these bad people. So there were a lot of people named. We have 
uh, indictments, allegations, and investigations open on countries such as the European Union, Andorra, Austria, Denmark, France, Georgia, Greece, Iceland, Ireland, Italy, Norway, Portugal, Russia, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, Ukraine, United Kingdom. Then we have um, Bangladesh, China, Armenia, Azerbaijan. Um, we have uh, Israel, Pakistan, and actually two sections of Pakistan, Qatar, Saudi Arabia. There is so much dirt. And, you know, obviously in the United States, you know, there's come to question the Panama Free Trade Agreement. Um, uh, there's a lot of Americans. And there is one specific American that we should turn our head to. Uh, as I tell you about this indictment. So four defendants are charged in Panama Papers investigation. So we're seeing this, right? Okay. It's a Panam- in a Panamanian-based global law firm's decades-long scheme. Now, remember, these documents have information from the 70s. So, uh, you know, if you're interested in this, right, if you're really interested, you should go to the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. Because the whistleblower went to them as opposed to WikiLeaks and provided this. Um, Because WikiLeaks was, you know, at a compromised position during the time of the submission. And, you know, obviously the whistleblower ensured that they be scrubbed from every single portion, that their identity be hidden, and that they have full immunity and never ask questions how they got those papers from Panama. So there are good, there's a good guy or gal or a group of them that just went into Panama and said, hey, this is where it's at. How do we get it? And they did. And so four individuals have been charged in an indictment unsealed today in the Southern District of New York with wire fraud, tax fraud, money laundering, and other offenses in connection with their alleged roles in a decades-long criminal scheme perpetrated by Masak, Finesta, and Co., a Panamanian-based global law firm and related entities. Ramsey Owens, 50, a Panamanian citizen, Wow, Owen sounds really Panamanian, right? Dirk Brower, 54, a German citizen. Richard Gaffey, 74, a U.S. citizen of Medfield, Massachusetts. And Harold Joachim Vondergoltz, 81, a German citizen, have been charged in an 11-count indictment. Owens, Gaffey, and Goltz were charged with one count of conspiracy to commit tax evasion, one count of wire fraud, and one count of money laundering conspiracy. Owens and Brower have been charged with one count of conspiracy to defraud the United States, one count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud. Gaffey and Goltz are additionally charged with four counts of willful failure to file a foreign FBR, a FUBAR, and um, Goltz has been additionally charged with two counts of making false statements. So three of the four defendants in the indictment have been arrested. Brower was working as an invested man, as investment uh, manager for Mosfon Asset Management, an asset management company closely affiliated with Masak uh, Fonseca, uh, and he was arrested in Paris, France on November 15th. 
Goltz, a former U.S. resident and taxpayer, was arrested in London on December 3rd, and Gaffey, who was a U.S.-based accountant, guess who he did accounting for, uh, was arrested in Boston, Massachusetts, on December 4th, 2018. Owens, who's a Panamanian citizen uh, attorney who worked for Masak Fonseca, nobody can find him. Owens, so Panamanian, right? So, as they allege, these defendants went to extraordinary lengths to circumvent U.S. tax laws and maintain their wealth and the wealth of their clients. Now, I want you guys to think. This guy Gaffey, he's 74 years old, still working as an accountant at 74. I mean, usually at 74 when you're immensely, stupendously rich – you kind of kick back and say, you know, I'm done working. So it makes you wonder, who is it that he's working for? I mean, who are the clients of him? Who does he serve? Well, one thing that, you know, hasn't been published is that the Clinton Foundation, the Podesta Group, and many other foundations, you know, kind of like Action for America, you know, stuff like that, are all linked to this law firm because they all have entities that this law firm managed. And it looks like Gaffey was doing a lot of accounting for other subgroups of the Clinton Foundation. Pretty awesome, right? Think about it. The Clinton Foundation, right, not only made money off of selling our uranium, not only made money for using their cloud, her cloud to Secretary of State, you know, to confiscate or aggressively take over gold mines in Haiti, let alone all that stuff about, you know, her buddy trafficking kids. Like, just literally trying to get them out of the country. And that same person then got a name change, and she's heading the Amber Alert Division. Like, uh, I hope she's still not heading the Amber Alert Division. And if she is, let's keep an eye on her, right? So the, the question here is, we now have bona fide information and fact that, you know, the Clinton Foundation had companies attached to it in itself that were operating as washing machines through Panama. Through Panama. Pretty incredible, huh? And now we're seeing a trend in Central America and South America where things are just crumbling. Even our president now is concerned with the situation in Nicaragua. The situation in Nicaragua is, is incredible because there's a violent response from the government, you know, in regards to protests that are happening there. Democratic institutions, there's serious human rights violations because, you know, this cabal has to run somewhere. So they go to um, nations that are insecure. And what I mean is it's kind of like a girl. You know, if, if, if a guy wants to feel powerful and have control of, um, you know, a relationship, 
either that be for you know a love relationship or a pretend love relationship to get the upper hand what you do is you find someone who's insecure and you use their insecurities against them Nicaragua is one of those insecure countries that has pretty much tried to mind their business but hasn't been pretty much a doormat for anyone and so President Trump has recognized that there is uh, strong corruption uh, crazy violence against the citizens um, and you know they're being funded so he's put a stop on that just last week by saying anyone from the United States that you know is uh, you know p- paying exporting withdrawing or dealing with anyone money wise in Nicaragua is uh, going to be in some serious stuff Okay, he's put it out there. You are not allowed to have any transactions with anyone related to the government in Nicaragua, which would probably be one third of the population because it's a small country and everyone's related. I mean, from my family, you know, I'd have like a third cousin or a fourth cousin removed directly to, you know, that that's probably in the government in small countries that happens. Right. So any time after and this is very specific. Right. Um. Anyone that has served in the government after 2007, January 10th, 2007, and has assisted in sponsoring, providing financial material, tech support, or goods and services. So this will, this is this is pretty incredible. What we're seeing, there's a trend, and you know these Panama Papers, right? Uh, these investigations began in 2016 when they were published. They were published in 2016, you know just coincidentally, when um, the world uh, was undergoing a huge change, and that was, you know, from our elections and our uh, movement to regain control of our country and break from this globalist, uh, you know, regime uh, that has uh, undertaken the task to uh, dictate our freedoms and dictate our uh, direction. So this came at a very odd time, you would think, because circling back to the first part of my first hour, nothing is done without a good formulated plan by good people, good collection of people coming together and trying to find solutions to problems, especially when these people are not very like-minded but have one main goal is to solve the problem. And I circle back again, it's like the millionth time and you're probably tired of hearing it, but it's again, two rooms. One room has 10 people all subscribed to the same ideology, wearing the same khaki pants, same khaki shirt. You give them one problem, they'll come up with one solution at a very uh, delayed response because they're all about appeasing each other. Whereas if you get a room with 10 people that all look different, all dress different, all pray different, all think different, you will have... the same problem presented to them, and they will come back to you with millions of solutions to pick from. So when people from different backgrounds that have one common goal, which is to maintain the right of freedom that a person is born with, to maintain that liberty, give me liberty or give me death, a lot of amazing things can happen. And a lot of people can use the same tools that nefarious characters do against them. We saw that with the uh, WikiLeaks drop of the DNC emails. You know, for some reason, they say it's Russia, and you know it was an American. We all know Seth Rich's role in this. 
and how, you know, we still don't know who did it when CCTV is, you know, top priority. I mean, here, you know, in in Metro, in Washington, D.C., they can literally walk around the streets. They literally have a division that says, you know, it's like for um, collecting guns off the street, right? So they have people that patrol and can sniff out people that may have guns illegally. And I'm actually investigating that. The reason I mention it is, you know, they have patrols where they can, you know, have this, you know, sixth sense of x-ray vision and see when someone's carrying a gun to stop them, frisk them, and take it away from them and arrest them. So they have all these, this technology, all this CCTV, but yet that murder's unsolved. That robbery where nothing was stolen is unsolved. That robbery where Seth Rich was on the telephone as he was shot with someone has still not been solved. The fact that he, as Matt Couch, America First Media Group reported, was transported to the hospital alive and then suddenly died. That Seth Rich, that person, that was one of many. Because I do not believe that people can't see that far in. That the good people obviously fight fair fights, obviously. But we can use the tools available, kind of like I keep saying, you have the tools available to you to do your homework and arm yourself with knowledge, right? On any topic, you know, from politics to global policy to laws to, you know, how to bake, um, you know, all these things. You can arm yourself with knowledge. You have those tools. And just like, you know, the bad and nefarious and D.C. mafia has – they also have tools, you know, to look at what you're mining for knowledge, which means that if they have access to those tools, there's bound to be some good guy with access to that tool too. You know, uh, a lot of people were like, how did um, Brennan's emails, you know, the uh, Brennan files that are on Wikipedia are there? You know, it's one of those people that, you know, sat back and, you know, found a phone that Brennan had and had some information and said, you know, hey, let's like, drop this because this is important stuff it's not good because it's a matter of national security okay so i don't approve of uh, disseminating classified information because it's classified for a reason either that be for a good or a bad reason it's still classified so you know leaking information that may cause harm to your country is a problem but leaking information that is unattainable by anyone, such as offshore accounts or people that work within the government that analyze this data or help it, or people within our government that bought Venezuelan bonds, or people that do book tours or fly around. Hey, remind me again, where did Barack Obama fly to last year? Wasn't it somewhere in South America, if I remember correctly, didn't he? And he was dancing. Hmm. These are all thoughts. And these are all thoughts that are derived from information that is available. If you actually look at the Panama Papers, you'll see that the, the, that this has just begun. This has just begun because these are documents from the 70s. And, you know, all these uh, supposed journalists, and we need to discern the difference between a journalist and a reporter. A journalist actually does homework. 
A journalist is part of the ICIJ. Investigative journalists like Laura Loomer, who actually go and find the story, are journalists. People that don't wait for someone to report it and then regurgitate it, adding one or two sentences. Those aren't journalists. Because 99% of the information you have access to, even from alternative media, as they call it, sites, is all regurgitated information. I mean, even me, on my website, on torysays.com, I'll repurpose information, but obviously I'll look into it. Like, you know, the story about the guy with the 30 penises in the bag. Um, I'm actually working on that uh, to get further details. You know, not just stop there. When I saw that, I made phone calls to find out more. Uh, but that's what journalists do. So this, you know, John Doe, Jane Doe, that provided these Panama Papers... We don't know who they are. Did something incredible. They used a tool of the cabal, like the Lagarde list, the Lagarde list, and they did the same thing. They said, okay, this is how you operate to kneel a government down in order to do what you want. Well, I could do that too. I mean, you supposedly did it for the greater good. I'm actually doing it for the greater good. Yours was to drive an agenda to kneel nations that have been around for thousands of years. I'm going to do it so I can get rid of people like you. And that was the response. So in a little bit, we'll talk about Gaffey, Gold, and the Clinton Foundation. Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switched to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it, but we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855-700-2978-855-700-2978-855-700-2978. That's 855 855- 729-78. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219. 
Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable My Pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code Red State. That's 1-800-961-9194, promo code Red State. Put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. Okay, and welcome back. And this is the last segment. Gosh, I really feel like time is flying really, really fast. So uh, the reason I chose to um, drive away uh, from whatever everybody else is talking about is to allow you to uh, think about this because this is all going to be hitting really hard in 2019. Very, very hard. And, you know... We have to remember that when the Panama Papers were released, a lot of journalists who exposed politicians of the European Union that were on it, because there's a lot of people still plowing through all this data till today. Many of them have been found dead. There is a trail of suicided, abouts of suicide and vicious murders of journalists exposing these politicians. Like the first one that went down was Iceland, if you remember. The prime minister resigned immediately. In uh, 2018, there was a female investigative journalist, great gal, Victoria Marinova. She uncovered numerous EU uh, funds fraud cases. She did. She uncovered them as and was exposing them. And they were linked to, you know, those people that Nigel Farage refers to unelected secret, you know, under cloak and dagger people that make the decisions for the European Union. Well, she was actually found brutally murdered and raped. The woman was tortured and maimed somewhere in Bulgaria. So any reporter that reports on these in the European Union is at risk to be annihilated. And hence why this data has been in the hands of many investigative journalists. I plow through them myself. Trying to put those pieces together. And now they're coming out two years later. And the reason that they're coming out now is because there is a leader within the United States that is giving people hope and direction to rectify the wrongs of past and to remove power from this 1%. Because everybody keeps saying, well, he's part of the 1%. Yeah, he has a lot of money because he's smart. And if I had a million-dollar loan 
uh, if I was fortunate enough to be born into a family that had millions of dollars, I'm pretty sure I would have done a lot with it too. I would have probably been going in another direction and probably into real estate because that's tangible money. So think about it for a second because 2019 is going to be a huge ride. We're anticipating to have a global economic collapse. We're seeing that gold is becoming um, that news story or topic uh, across the globe, but it's kind of like in the background. It's kind of like, you know, when you're, when you're sticking a picture on a frame and you have that paper to hold it in there, right? So the paper is the gold and then they just talk about other stuff. It's in the background. It's that noise that you just can't put your finger on. We've got the gold standard bill. We've got the Fed fighting back. We've got the Rothschild literally on social media and other big names demanding people to uprise. We have the mainstream media going wild. I wonder why. A lot of them have a lot of money for just being talking heads. Ever thought of that? How does a talking head have so much clout and so much cash? I mean, they could possibly even have offshore accounts. Remember, uh, a lot of people have died and are being eliminated. And this is not just, you know, saying, oh, yeah, they have. They literally have. Uh, when they're exposing uh, offshore dealings of people. Uh, just this year, three well-known, because there's a lot of investigative journalists that aren't known. I mean, I've been writing and talking for over a decade. My mentor was Breitbart. I met him when I was somewhere in a conference, and we t- I, I, I knew who he was, but I didn't, and we shared oysters. You know, he just... I just sat next to him and started to eat those famous Drago oysters, and we just chatted and chatted and chatted. And he was like, oh, so you're, you're a journalist. I was like, no, I'm actually here uh, for the FEMA conference. Um, and uh, that's, that was our first encounter. And he's, he was the most amazing person uh, that I encountered by chance and fostered it. He was. Because he was a person that said, you know, somebody has to do something. I was like, well, that's kind of dangerous. And that's where friendships happen. I mean, you know, he, he was always about getting things out there and making them public so that the people can choose. This is why he was so successful. You know, I've been, like I said, writing for years and talking for years. I've been guests on global radio shows uh, talking. And, you know, you kind of want to stay in the background. But like I said, President Trump has given uh, courage to a lot of people that have, you know, uh, hobbies. Because this is, this is more of a calling as a hobby. Probably why I don't even feel that the hours go by like this. And I've opened up my phone lines, by the way. 
and I forgot to announce that is a two fifteen top talk where you can call in if you'd like. Uh, so I've been doing this for a while and found that with the election of president Trump, there is bonafide hope for people all over the world to do this because you are what is needed. Every listener out there, is what's needed. This movement that we see of requesting, well, not requesting, we're demanding to maintain the foundations of our constitution is because of you. You are the reason President Trump is succeeding. You are the reason that we have these Panama Papers. You are the reason that he's president. So, it's everybody's job to think and to derive information that is not readily available, that's not spoon-fed to us. Because we see that a lot. You know, from the left, they come out and they're like, yeah, but this. And it's like, well, where does it say that? And it's like, I'm not going to hold your hand. It's your job to do your homework because you care about your future. And I think... President Trump throwing his hat into the ring was an amazing time because people were open to that because they saw a lot of things they didn't agree with. They saw that our country was going in the wrong direction. And, you know, I keep saying it's a global movement because it is, because as I've said before, we've been spearheading this from the early 1900s globally. That's fact. And I know we don't like to, to think of our country as the villains, but, you know, it's fact. We drive everything. And the point is, do you want to continue in that? Are you into, like, empires and kingdoms and bloody wars and taking over people? And have any of you seen that um, show on Amazon? Uh, uh, the, the, the man in the, in the highest castle? where it's like an alternate uh, reality of Hitler actually winning the war. And it all reminds you how primitive this feeling of needing to conquer is. And it's 2018. We've evolved as people being part of a civilization, uh, you know, for 2,000 years now. And we've developed technology that has allowed us to connect to each other. So... The question here is, if, if, if we've evolved to the point where we can connect with every corner of the planet, why are we so adamant to conquering? Why can't we just appreciate the diversity and maintain the empires, if you'd like to call them, or countries that are around now? I mean, borders change every day and throughout time. But when is it enough? When there's no border, where it's one big planet of just vanilla, that everyone's the same? Is that what is ideal, that we don't have diversity? Because like I said, without diversity, without people staying true to their roots and to their foundations, then there is no innovation. Society would become stagnant. Everyone would be the same. That's not what we want. And then when, when you do conquer the whole planet and you're a planetarch, then what? 
then there's a huge wealth gap. And if you stand back and look at the planet and you're like, oh, that's one big, you know, country. The whole planet is one people. They all speak the same language. They all have the same money. Who benefits from that? A 1%. And the wealth gap at that point is going to be massive. It's going to be massive. We're going to have whole countries just producing food for everybody else, whole countries just mining for everybody else. You know, they're going to faction humans to operate like machinery, to just be the power. I mean, think about it. We're, we're not saying this isn't a conspiracy. This is like, think about it. Think ahead. Pretend you're that 1%. Pretend you're the DC mafia. What is the point of controlling every single aspect of every single piece of land and every drop of water on this planet? What is the ultimate goal? Because if you sit back and say, well, the ultimate goal is to just be in charge of everything. Okay, let's pretend you've attained everything. How is your society going to produce and function when they all think the same and act the same? They won't. There'll be stagnation. That's what happens. That's what happened to the Roman Empire and people don't want to admit it. The Roman Empire would probably still be around if they didn't try to change everyone that they conquered. They tried to in, enforce their way of life, their rules, their thought, what they thought was correct. And, you know, they would eradicate what made that country attractive to conquer in the first place. So in the end, you're just the leader of a planet with billions of people that think, talk, eat, breathe, poop, sleep, and work the same. Maybe a little bit in regards to industry or whatever, but it's all the same. It's all vanilla. So then you've come to capacity and you have no more challenges left. I mean, someone can argue that they can go into space and continue and propagate, but we don't know what's out there really, do we? We don't. We can only speculate. I mean, we, there could be civilizations right around the corner and we wouldn't know that if the government doesn't want to tell us that. There could be no civilizations. We could just be, I don't know, we could be anywhere. And we don't know that. We don't have tangible evidence to know that. We just have what they tell us. And we've realized now that we only know and we only have knowledge of what they allow us to have knowledge of. So to make the best of things, I think, I believe, and I, and I believe it would be the most sound is to maintain diversity, maintain individuality, because that's the only way that you will always have innovation. Innovation is key to survival. This is, you know, survival of the fittest. Well, you know, we're not birds on Darwin's Island, you know, where, you know, the ones that had long beaks died because... Suddenly seeds would fall and only the short-beaked ones would live. And anyone born with a long beak would die because they wouldn't be able to eat. Well, we have technology to facilitate the changes of our environment in order to survive. But we won't be able to develop and innovate if we're not coming from different backgrounds. You cannot solve a problem without diversity. You need diversity in order to produce and to innovate. Is the point. 
I mean, imagine if you took 20 people off of a cult that believe whatever and you give them a problem. They'll solve the problem according to whatever thoughts they agree to. And they might even not come up with a solution because they can't fathom it because they can only think this way. So the question is, okay, so they win and we're all one globe and the 1% is in charge. What about us? What about us? We're just workers. So we just exist to serve and produce. I mean, are you happy with that? Because I am not. So taking a step back and thinking about these things, when you look at what is going on, I, I think is a great motivator for anyone to take everything with a grain of salt and say, well, what's the ulterior motive here? Like, what's the end game? We always talk about that. What's the end game? Even when we talk and, you know, we kind of, go around and skirt and ring around the rosy around a, you know, idea, uh, you know, someone will stop you and say, well, well, what's the point? What's the end game? What, what is your goal? For me, because I can only think so far is okay. End goal is that you're, you're king, queen, whatever, and you reign and, and you are jesters in your court and you rule over this whole planet. And, and then we're just like workers, and we abide by your laws and produce what you want and do what you want and serve you. I mean, okay, let's pretend that happened. I mean, how happy would you be? I mean, you'd, you'd be born into that family and enjoy riches and torture other people and have other people serve you. But how long until you get bored? Because humans get bored, right? How long can you sustain that? What, a thousand years? That you have people as slaves? I mean, at some point, the slaves are going to revolt. You know, people decide this happens everywhere in history. So, you know, what is the end game? Is the end game to be comfortable for a period of time until, you know, your workers freak out? Because we've seen that movie before. How many of those movies have we seen? Like tons, right? So think about it. This is all a shift to come to that end game that we've seen in history pan out before. Where it's all about conquering, it's all about subduing, and it's all about control in uh, a small pool of hands. When we know that at, at some point, everything has to reset. Because they could have 10 years of commanding the globe, and then, you know, people realize they do have the power and they revolt. Or it can be 100 or 1,000, but at some point, we're going to have to restart. So if history has proven to you that it never works... Socialism never works. You know, monarchies don't work. Then why are you doing it again? It's all about power and control and thinking you're smarter than the previous people, you know, than you, and that they couldn't apply it. I mean, really? If an idea doesn't work, trying it again and again and again is actually the definition of insanity. We're literally being led uh, by insane people. It's all about us realizing that they are only as powerful as we allow them to. And this is something that we are seeing shift globally around the world. And people, because they know with technology, because they know that controlling people is different than it was in the 1300s. They don't just whip you and kill you because now messages can go across the globe within a split second.
can't do that. But you subdue by uh, managing what information they can see, what they have access to, and what they can say and do. So you find alternative methods. So now the people we have seen, this is a civil war within our country and a global war, and it's very civilized. Because the people that have realized that they are in control, that the masses have more power, that the group of the global cabal are nothing if we don't allow them to be something. And so we use the tools they use against us against them. This is how it is. We're using social media. We're using access. They used, you know, the Lagarde list to drop nations and and have them bow down to the IMF. Well, then the good guys got the Panama Papers. And they can't do anything about it. The good guys manifested things like, you know, the uh, Association of Investigative Journalists and and WikiLeaks. The good guys created 4chan and 8chan. Because no matter how it is, one thing is real, that a person understands that they have the right to freedom. And the control that we have been seeing uh, develop slowly and the conditioning to allow to cater to certain... mm, And I want to be very careful on the words I choose on this. It's It's the way that we're seeing them guide our laws that we empower, right? Because a law is only as powerful as the people that acknowledge it to have power, right? So if there's a law that says, you know, you can't have a blue car, right? It's it's only got power if people actually abide by it. So if if my state decides to ban blue cars and they're like, the law says no blue cars, um, if nobody, if everybody decides, well, it's against the law, you know, to drive blue cars and they all just paint their cars a different color and avoid buying it, then you've just given merit to that law because the lawmaker made it. But if you say no, who are you to tell me I can't drive a blue car and you rebel by everybody driving a blue car, then you have taken your power back as a citizen and said, no, lawmaker, you're wrong. That's not the way it goes. Uh, there's, There's no merit to your law and I'm not accepting it. I'm trying to simplify it so you understand what I'm saying. We dictate how much power another person has. And I know a lot of people are saying, well, look at the Clintons. Look at these people. They're walking around. We got James Comey caught in lying, and he's still walking around. Well, how do you know they're walking around? You know, people are like, well, Hillary Clinton went to India with Beyonce, and she was dancing. And I was like, anybody who thinks that was Hillary Clinton dancing— A woman that sits in a chair during an interview and chokes on her own breath was out in India bhangra dancing is insane. That wasn't her. We already know who her double is in Vegas. She was the one that exited, you know, Chelsea's house and they all caught her that she was just doubling up to make appearances. Come on, guys. You really think Hillary Clinton was dancing? She's got catheters and monitors and, uh, you know, attached to her. She keeps coughing and can't breathe without coughing. You think she was out there bhangra dancing? Do you know how aerobic that is? I would die within three minutes of dancing bhangra. If you really think that they're around and walking around, then maybe you're just not paying attention. 
Because you have to remember that even though uh, you and I approve of them being arrested and taken in, there are a lot of people that have already you know, gone beyond that point of being conditioned and having accepted uh, you know, the general message. If, if it wasn't true, then everyone wouldn't be saying it. I've actually encountered people that are educated, academically, highly educated. And I said, how can you listen to what they're telling you? And it's like, but it's not just CNN, NBC, CBS, ABC, all the, you know, uh, newspapers are saying it. So it has to be true. And it's like, people have now accepted that as that majority rules. So if the mainstream media who is supposed to be on your side, who's supposed to be giving you the news, says it so, then it is so. And that is the scary tool that they're using. So you can't just say I'm going to arrest everyone because you will have all those people out there freaking out. You will have them out on the streets burning things. You've seen how crazy they are. They stand in the middle of the street screaming. Screaming, literally shrieking or crying or throwing things or spitting. Like, this is, you can't have that. Because then that human being is literally useless to you. They will never recover. So you have to do it the right way, slowly. And now we're seeing the left, the leftists, walking away in huge numbers. Comey's testimony, things that are coming out, things that the mainstream media can't hide because of social media. Yet they're trying to suppress it through Google, but, you know, everyone's using DuckDuckGo now. So anyway, those are the thoughts that I wanted to leave with you this weekend. Because next week, we'll be talking about a quid pro quo that has gone completely under the radar with Hillary Clinton and the Obama administration. And I'm going to be exposing that because no one's talked about it. Until then, I want to wish everyone a fabulous weekend. Gearing up for 2019. Remember, you can follow me on uh, Tori says.com on twitter on tori underscore says gab tori underscore says and facebook and of course you can always find me here on red state talk radio have a great happy and healthy weekend and keep thinking 